listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. I did a little homework exercise this past week, Kirk, where I went through my athletes training, but not their training, really, more of their notes from meetings and such and their their onboarding questionnaires. Anyone I've worked with for the last few years, I just went through and I was looking for trends because I'm working on a side project here and I'm looking for trends and what people struggle with as a runner. And I'm sure this will be no surprise to you whatsoever because you work with people one-on-one in the gym all the time and you're dealing with personal weaknesses and things like that the entire time. But what jumped out off the page at me, so such a stark contrast, was the length of the column between things that are talents or skills or metrics versus things that require no talent whatsoever. It was like 95% of the things that people actually struggled with. Like everyone wants to get faster. Everyone wants more endurance. Everyone had some sort of goal on that. But the actual weaknesses they end up talking about or making a point of emphasis, it was all things that require no talent. I can't get my morning workout in. I overeat each night. I can't stop binging on sugar. I struggle with consistency in training. I drink to excess too many times. Every single thing on this list, and I'm saying like 90 to 95% of the list over the course of like mm-hmm. several years of athlete issues, not skill-based. No, it would take no talent whatsoever to fix it. And I'm not lording myself over this list. Most of my weaknesses line up with not a talent required to be better at them, but it just it's been rattling around in my brain now the last few days is why do we as humans consistently struggle with the things that require no talent? Like if we just addressed all the things we could address, how successful we'd be. It it seeing it on the paper was shocking to me. It's not shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Uh based on a lot of interactions I've had with clients over the years, but what is shocking to me is the is why you're organizing all of this stuff because I'm very curious as to what's rattling around in that brain of yours. And then the second thing is, was this, were these findings unprovoked as in somebody was like checking in about a race, it was a race recap, or it was just initial consult, or is this, um, was this some from answers from a questionnaire? Like how did you, where did you pull all this from? Everything? Yeah. So I have the, the initial onboarding questionnaire, the athletic questionnaire I have people fill out. And then throughout their time, notes they've made or notes I've made where they say, hey, I just really struggling with blank. And when people are having a difficulty with something, it's generally skill or talent based. And when they're just really struggling with something, I found almost no occurrence of something that required talent to fix. The real yeah. struggles were not skill-based or talent-based. In my questionnaires, I ask two questions, and typically my eyes go, I ask, well, a number of questions, but two of them are exactly what you're talking about. It is, what do you see being your largest barriers to success? Mm-hmm. Like achieving what you just told me you want to achieve. What are you going to be your biggest barriers to that? And then the last question on, on my questionnaire is, what do you feel needs to change or needs the most help to make you better at 
running or successful in your weight loss or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say 19 out of 20 times it has nothing. I just can't run fast or I just like my barrier isn't that I'm fat and slow. The barrier is always external, typically from talent. So Mm -hmm. it's just interesting. And my eyes go right to those almost first because their gut is usually right. Like, why yeah. am I not getting better? Well, you don't get up in the morning or run enough. It's very true. So it's interesting you bring that up because um, people are pretty good at recognizing it, but really bad about doing anything about it. Yeah. And, and it's maybe why it's so confounding to me isn't that it occurs. It's that these are people actively paying to work on skills and talents, to maximize their talent and improve their skill. Like they're working hard and intentionally putting themselves in suffering style situations where the thing that's free, the thing that's not pain-based, the thing that doesn't require sweat is sitting right there and it is totally unaddressed. So it's not even that most of these people are lazy. It's that we find ways to compartmentalize the things we're willing to work hard on. And sometimes it's, what is it, more incentivizing or more fun or less scary to do the scary thing? Because the piece that we know we could fix is too like exposing to address. I, I don't know exactly what it is. That if you know it's easy and you try to fix it and don't, all it does is expose your flaw. Whereas the scary thing or the painful thing I got injured. I couldn't do it. I'm not fast enough. I couldn't do it. But I, I really don't want to admit the fact that I tried for 90 days to work on getting out of bed in the morning and I couldn't do it. What do you? What's the side project situation? Do you care to share? Or are we keeping it close to the? Yeah, we can talk about it right now. It's the uh, what are you doing the, with this? the running public night school courses that we're mm-hmm. that we have in the pipeline. I've revisited that this week and polished up the one that's mostly complete, but then started thinking about, okay, what's the next school session? What's the next school session? Mm -hmm. So what's the next course? And trying to find what are the most commonly needed courses for runners, and then let's build those courses. But what was funny is that these same skills or non-skills that kept showing up in this column are probably the same issues that life coaches, psychologists, psychiatrists, school counselors, marriage counselors. It's non-sport specific. They're all working on this with these people. I say these people, but it's me included. Like most, most of these are universal yep. faults, but they're not talent. Mm-hmm. They are not talent-based faults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say I shouldn't be saying this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I bet I'm gonna. I wonder why about 15% of my athletes are paying for my service. Okay. Because they don't respond to me sometimes. They don't get the work assigned done as they should. They write long emails to me explaining why things didn't happen or justifying the fact that things mm-hmm. are going poorly. Or they just like don't utilize the service like they're not getting the value. But they continue every month, some of them for years, and I have no exact idea why. But those 15% um, – are full of the things that you talked you're talking about mm-hmm. all of the non-talent fit barriers to success those 15 percent fall in it's like constant whether it's the getting yeah. up in the morning or somehow you're always having bathroom issues every run or you are overheating in the afternoon or it's like well you could this is just an example nobody in particular you could get dialed in with your food and make sure every run isn't cut short by bathroom issues you could 
get up in the morning instead of wait till after work and then cut your tempo short because you, in quotes, overheated. Mm-hmm. You, all of the little things. It's just interesting. It's it's not the, and almost, it's not the winners. It's just not the winners who end up falling into that camp mm-hmm. all the time. It's just not. And, and it's just interesting that you you bring it up. But I often wonder, now that I'm just dissecting like the weekly check-ins from like a select group of people I have, I never hear anything about fitness or talent or ability. It's always the fringe stuff. What do you do yeah. with it? I don't know. Obviously, we need to come up with a course for it. <laughs> well, and I mean, th- these are greater problems than we as running coaches consistently have the ability to solve. Right. Right. Because if, if you can solve these things, you're right. you're going to be on the speaking tour immediately. But it's, it's one of those issues sure. where I can look at it and say, I'm empathetic, but I do not get you. Like I am, I am supporting you as a human, but I am not an ally here. The people who will come sure. to you consistently and say, sob story, sob story, sob story, sob story, excuse, 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 excuse. Listen, I'm a procrastinator. Yeah. I can relate to that. I can empathize and maybe I'm your ally. I am a cram and get it done last minute though. What I am not is find anyone who will listen and give the most pathetic excuse possible. I try to be very open by saying, listen, this is going to sound like an excuse and I'm not happy to say it, but here are the facts. And I probably missed that mark a little bit, but what I don't understand in humans are the ones that have no shame anymore. They have built up such a callus to responding to every single hurdle in life by not getting over it and then immediately bombarding everyone in their circle with their these grandiose excuses and feeling no ounce of shame anymore or at least projecting no shame. That's the thing. Like I empathize with you, but I am not your ally here. I do not Mm. understand it. I will support you in this, but I, I, it doesn't compute to me. I understand failing. I am well acquainted with failure. I understand from time to time making excuses. I'm well acquainted with that. But it is a shameful feeling to me. And so the people who double down and triple down and quadruple down and build up a callus to it to the point where they're just comfortable, like especially guys to me, a guy who will turn to another guy and just give them the most pathetic excuse I've ever heard and then expect sympathy back. Like I am just not your ally here for this. Mm. Is that cold sounding or is that coming through what I'm saying? Oh, it's coming through for sure. Because um, like an, you, being an ally is being an enabler in a lot of ways. I'm going to enable you to continue being frustrated with your progress or not getting where you want to go by being your ally. I'm enabling you to continue the same habits or choices yeah. that you're continuing to make. It doesn't have to do with drugs or alcohol. It doesn't have to do with, like, if you're an enabler, you're an enabler of somebody uh, putting walls up in front of themselves constantly by yeah. being their ally. And it's a tricky thing as a coach to be somebody's ally and to have compassion. And then when the firm talk is needed, it's like not a, it's, it's a very, very fine line deciding on which side of it, you know, is needed yeah. at the moment. So it's a tricky position to be in because half the time you're paid to be supportive, right? Like you want to be supportive. That's my mm-hmm. nature. I want to support you. And if somebody's paying you for your service and then you yell at them, I don't know, you know, like you should, it feels like as a coach, you should be their cheerleader all the time. Like I'm just here to be your biggest fan and give you the guidance that you need to, to be better. But 
you know, love hurts, man. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes the truth is what's needed and it's not always pretty. So it's a delicate balance. Do you have anybody in particular you're like, you, you feel like you need to have any sort of coming to Jesus talk? For example, do you remember, um, like one of our podcast guests, Diane Miller, who mm-hmm. uh, is a client of mine and friend of mine, she, you know, we had to have one of those talks and it's always extra hard. It's one thing to do that to a friend who isn't paying you for your friendship. It's another thing to have that talk with somebody who's paying you for your service mm-hmm. to then sh- grab them by the shoulders and be like, hey, you suck right now. Like, yeah, you, you got anybody in mind, Bracken? You need I do. Talk. Yeah, I, I do. I do have two right now. Uh, for, and I would say my percentage is under 15. There are a few people that have these traits, but there are two who, if they were honest with themselves, this is their response to the vast majority of what arises in their lives. And I think that that's my, maybe my big reason for all of this is for anyone listening to run a really, really honest audit of your circumstances and are you the common factor or not? Because it just, there's always someone or something's issue with why it didn't go right. And it doesn't go right more often than it (laughs) goes right. If that's the case, like eventually you're just the only common thread throughout this. Like the weather and your boss and the bank and your spouse and um, your competition and your coach. Like we don't all know each other. We don't all conspire against you. And so if that's the narrative you've built up that it's always something it's true and that something is you that's the only common thread between everyone that you are the only common thread and so maybe this is the way of giving the tough love speech to some people out there who need it who we don't know or who we do know and they need Mm -hmm. to self admit it first but no one no one has every single person in their life interconnected to them except by your thread and so if they don't all know each other and they're all treating you the same, it's you. So that's, I think that's my tough love takeaway today. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I got married this weekend at 40 years old. 40 <laughs> years old, got married for the first time. Not the second or third. I'm getting somewhere with this. But it's interesting because I had this conversation. You weren't a part of it. It was this weekend. It was like, it took you long enough or da-da-da. That was a funny, mm-hmm. you know, waited long enough or time to lock it up, da-da-da. And, it was, and somehow... It got to like, uh, like how did, like why did it take so long? Like what, like 40, why? Mm-hmm. And, and I was talking about it and I was like, well, and no, I mean, it was a wonderful wedding weekend and I am very lucky, very happy. Jess and I are very happy. But I was talking about other women and I was mm-hmm. saying like, yeah, like I met, I've dated a number of great women in my life and it has nothing to do with them has nothing to it literally didn't have anything to do with them the mm-hmm. only common denominator the reason that i was still single until my 40s is me like all those women ended up marrying the next guy they met like literally it wasn't them it was me i was the reason all those relationships failed because i chose for that to happen until i buttoned up and chose for it to change trajectory and i had to mm-hmm. work really hard i told you in my vows this weekend i opened it up with how i really didn't want to slow down and I was busy chasing my own dreams and goals and just slowly but surely chipped away at me. Um, and I had to make a conscious decision to change my ways to make something good great. It wasn't going to be great without me meeting it halfway and taking ownership over my end. It had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with me. And so that was a conversation I just had 
this mm-hmm. weekend. Now it's about relationships. It's not about running, but the same thing applies. I wouldn't be here happy today with Jess if it wasn't for the fact that I took care of my side of the street for the first time. I was the common denominator up to yeah. this point. So it really hits home with me in a lot of ways. And I don't mean to get off in left field and all that, but I hope that tracks. It does. You hear it all the time, and, and, and you know how it is. When you do meetings with athletes, after the first four to six weeks with most, and it's four to six months with others, eventually it turns into either two friends chatting or some version of armchair sports psychologist. You just become a listening, you know, unit. You just sit here and you listen and it's life based or it's personal based. And between that and interaction, like we all know the people who are like the, the, the woman who's just like, why are all guys jerks? Or the guy who's like, why are all women crazy? It's like, here's the thing. <laughs> strong emotions like love elicit strong reactions. And every person has the propensity to either be an incredible partner or a crazy vindictive ex. Everyone has that in you and love brings that out. But if every person you interact with is giving you the same (laughs) negative reaction back, it's because you are really good at eliciting that side of it. That's what it is. No, not every guy is a jerk and not every woman is crazy, clearly. But everyone can be one or the other. And if you are the master of divining the crazy out of women or the jerk out of guy, it's not taking the blame away from the guys. Yes, they shouldn't be jerks, but you also have this part of you that elicits that response. And that will be confused as victim blaming by some people. But if it's constantly happening and you never see the other side, even if it's the fact that all the guys are wrong or all the girls are wrong, you're still choosing those. Like it may be all on them, mm-hmm. but you're the one putting yourself like you are the person who's still the constant in all of that. So I really don't want to go down a negative pathway here, but identifying when you're the commonality, like when the lowest common denominator is you, it's no longer a conspiracy. It's really, really simple. It's just you. I don't know how we went this way because that this is not what today's about, by the way, folks. No, if you're, if you're, <laughs> it's not. This is, this is not, this is not what a positive episode. episode. Is about. But well, this isn't not this isn't not positive because if it yields a, an a, an end positive result, mm-hmm. it's just that things aren't going well for me. It was you know countless failed relationships, mm-hmm. um, failed as in I walk, you know chose not to have them, or if it's. Um, Failed workouts or races or things like that. Instead of pointing at your, all oh, the nutrition didn't mm-hmm. sell, sit well with me in my gutter. I, maybe I didn't hydrate or I didn't get enough sleep two nights before. And you're pointing the finger and all these external factors. You yeah. just need to curl your wrist around and point at you and say, what's my role in this? And yeah. start there. Start with the choice you made to try a new goo or start with the choice you made to be so stressed and leave work on the table the night before the race and then suddenly you didn't get sleep or whatever the circumstance is. It's just, it's, we, we, we are living our own creation. And that's, I think, what you're trying to get across. And so taking ownership over that and then action sure. on it is kind of the, what you have to do. I, I was just interested. I, I, we didn't talk about this before, but I know it's kind of like a vague, we're just talking like vaguely and in theory here, but I'm, I think there's people crossing our mind and, and situations that have arisen that were. Mm-hmm. maybe addressing secretly i don't know um and also by the way just to cut some people some slack like there are 
facts and situations in which are very external mm -hmm. and like if you're one of those who has a bad week because life did suck or something got hard that's not i don't think what we're talking about we're talking about consistent themes over time we're not exactly. talking about a one-off no. uh, death in the family or one bad race or something like we're human my god i'm certainly human and you're definitely human and so that happens mm -hmm. but we're t this is this we're talking consistently repeatable patterns not not infrequent patterns yes. yes just to make sure like yes. one person has a bad workout and then they're <laughs> no. like i suck what am i doing i'm the worst i fail like it's not right. what I'm talking about. no not at all if you only like if you've had a toxic relationship you're the victim if you've had 15 toxic relationships you're still the victim but you need to start walking in a different neighborhood kind of thing like we're talking mm. patterns here not victim blaming patterns that make you the victim um yeah. All right. Uh, I could keep turn? going on this topic, but maybe we should move on. <laughs> I, I, you know, sometimes this, these rabbit holes. Um, so what do we, we, say, where do we go from here? We say all this to talk to you about maximizing and amplifying your running volume when training for yeah. something longer than you can afford off of your current and perceived limits of running volume. You know what, though? There is a transition here with that because that camp, the camp who wants to run further but isn't sure if they can, mm -hmm. the camp who can't stay healthy enough to go tackle their first 50K or their first WTM is the camp in which could find themselves making the excuses at times or putting barriers to success in front of them. Um, it's very common. Somebody, I can't hold up that long. And so... Uh, there's ways around that. There's ways to just open For the doors sure. of possibility yeah. with being able to run farther without running farther, if that makes sense. That's what <laughs> we're going to explore today. As you say that, this makes me think of Liquid IV, the hydration okay. multiplier. Have you seen their, their, their advertising? <laughs> I, that hasn't, I, yes, and I'm sure I've seen that, but it doesn't stick to me, that exact phrase. Yeah, yeah, they, they actually say hydration multiplier, and it's like a 3x or a 4x more hydration from your 20-ounce water bottle if this is present in it, which isn't the way hydration works. Now, you could argue that the presence of certain vitamins, minerals, electrolytes can retain water or make it more useful to your system. But a 4x or 3x in hydration, like it's not a hydration multiplier. But we are what we're talking about is a legitimate volume multiplier. We are going to be your volume multiplier Perch. today. This is a triple x episode, folks. Triple x. Three x your volume. Triple you won't believe step number six. <laughs> I uh, I think, by the way, about that, just eat a bunch of salt and drink a bunch of water. You're going to be hydrated. Boom. Um, blood, boom. Done. Moving on. Um, and by the way, folks, as we jump into this, uh, totally on me because I got married. I had family in town. Um, we didn't record a training Tuesday on me, not on Bracken's end. It was like, hey, Bracken, can you cut me some slack here? Let's let's just progress and, and make a, a conglomerate training Tuesday longer for our friday episode so that's why you're getting what you're getting today um because i just had like important stuff going on and i wanted to not overfill my cup so that's why you're getting this today um well this was your brainchild and i actually really like the idea of this training for longer races or being high volume without being high volume which is probably a little confusing and i like it because i'm gonna knock on wood i'm still not high volume by any standards i'm very 
moderate volumed, I would say. So I still supplement with cross training. Mm-hmm. But for years, I was even lower volume. And I made half of my career from 2018 to 2020, 21 running, I would say relatively low volume for the length of the races I was running, mm-hmm. 50Ks, 25Ks, uh, things like that. And so it's something I've become very passionate about. Like injury was my limitation. If I ran too much, I would get hurt. And still found a way to make it happen and so point being it's actually something i'm a firm believer in being able to uh put together solid training even if you can't run the mileage all your competitors are and so when you said we should talk about this i was excited too so Good. i don't know if you want to kick this off or you have a starting point but i mean yeah I'm at a starting point first of all i'm just going to start with the caveat that like the cheater way of doing this episode would be to say all the different ways that strength training will bulletproof you and make you stronger and more resilient so that you can just last longer without running more. Like we could get into that, but we're 35 minutes in or 30 minutes in this episode and we haven't started yet. So obviously strength training is a key component of this, but today we'll, we'll focus more on the actual cardio components to amplifying your running volume. You cool with that? Yeah, I prefer it. Okay. Actually, so, so do you want to leave, I guess just interrupt real quick. Do you want to leave strength off the table completely? As in no. Like, yes, you need to be doing your strength work. Okay. I don't think completely, but I don't think we need to go through every single step to it. Okay. So where I will start is just this concept that, I mean, if I asked you the question, what is the number one thing that stops people from being able to run more miles or kilometers? What is that one thing? Uh, injury. Yeah. It's impact. Injury. It's damage. Impact, sure. And so if damage. we have all accepted the fact that like our excuses are gone, we've worked on everything we can work on, we're doing the piddly stuff, we've built up intelligently and where we are right now in our training we just can't really add more impact this episode picks up from that decision point right there where i know that there are other ways but it's not i don't have time for it or with this training block it's just there isn't an option for more running miles but i have time so that's really what we're talking about here is how do we do more assuming that running more is off the table that cool yeah, that's uh, that's the route I'd like to take with it as well. All right. So again, while I was working on this night school course that we have coming down the pipe, one of the components to compromised running, that spoiler alert, that will be the first course is all about compromised running. The idea of what does compromised running really do and how does it help you and all that? Well, one of the big benefits of compromised running is that it shortcuts the process to getting your legs to a race-like fatigue. And the example I use in the course or that we use in the course is you could run like a 10 mile easy run into 10 miles at marathon pace in order to get used to running under marathon style fatigue at marathon pace and exertion. Or you could do 10 by mile at marathon or three by three mile or two by five mile, but do 50 to 100 walking lunges weighted in between all the reps. You would shortcut the process of getting race-specific fatigue in your legs without adding any running volume to the day. But what that would also do is that would mean that every step you take 
was at the fatigue level of being at like mile 16 to 20. Maybe not impact, but the fatigue of it where your fatigue builds throughout a run. And it took 10 miles easy just to get to the point where you've started adding fatigue, where 50 walking lunges can take you a minute. So you could take 10 miles to get there, which for an average runner is 80 to 90 minutes. Or you could take one minute and get to that same level of acute leg fatigue. So that's that's kind of the starting point for this whole conversation is how do you amplify the time spent running to the test where running under fatigue is a huge component of an ultra or a marathon? And how do you get fatigued in the first place? One of those workouts required a 20 mile day. The other one required a 10 mile day, but all 10, 100 percent of the workout was race specific fatigue. Cheat codes. It really is, you're, yeah. You're talking cheat codes here. You're talking about innovate innovation is the way to the future. It's progress. It is an innovative cheat code to uh, creatively find a way to simulate the race without having to put as many steps in. And yeah. that's not being lazy if you are somebody who is uh, injury-averse or prone, sorry. Um, it's smart. So. Mm -hmm. If we want to talk creative cheat codes, um, I think that's probably the best place to start is is that in conjunction with um, supersetting your running with other modalities to accumulate. Let's say the marathon, for example, that you may want to work up to a 22-mile long run or two beforehand, which might take you three hours in training. Well can't run three hours in training, what are some of the cheat codes you could use to still work for three hours without spending three hours on feet? And you're outlining a very specific high-end example, like let's One specific high-end, yeah. and then I just, correct, and then I'm just providing an, a very vague still example about how to accumulate time on feet, which would be mixed modality work, in right. which some of it is running. But um, I think we can, we either start there, I have two, um, yeah, do I it. have two pure running recommendations. Like let's say we were going to take cheat codes aside, compromise running aside, like if we wanted to keep it pure, I have two strong recommendations, but if we want to start getting fancy with it and start talking this stuff, like we can do that too. I don't really care. No, start with the two. This is I think this is going to be more of a bullet point with little tangent style episode. For sure. Rather than like a really well-structured outline. Okay. Well, okay, then I'll just jump into it. So, uh, two Two different approaches. If let's say running is your, you don't want to do jump lunges and compromise. You want to, like, I'm a runner. Mm -hmm. I'm going to run far. I don't want to do that stuff. That's stupid. Compromise running is dumb. I'm going to mm -hmm. do burpees before I right. run. That's ridiculous. Um, an approach that I've used in both work is cross training is involved. I had somebody ask me yesterday, what is, like, what do you mean by cross training? They're like, does that mean, like, strength work? Or what does it mean? Like, cross aerobic cross training in which induces similar heart rate to, like, running. So we'll just use that as cross training. Could be assault bike, regular bike, elliptical, rower, swimming. Uh, what else is there? Incline hiking, whatever. So um, what I think the two approaches that work is, one, you are low volume throughout the week. As in like Monday through Friday, maybe let's just use, for example, you're training for a marathon because it's easy to comprehend, 26.2 miles. Maybe you run four miles three times throughout the week, and then you hit your long run as if you have no limitations on the weekend. Like I'm going to hit my 22-mile long run when I need to, but I'm only going to run 12 miles the entire week leading up to it. 
for example. So you charge up for the big effort that's going to be required for your race. I remember Matt Kempson, he performed pretty dang well. And he's like, yeah, I run like 30 miles a week or 25. And he performed well in Tahoe my first year there. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I can't run that much. So my coach has me doing like, I run three miles during the week, like three or four times. And then I hit the long run as if I'm like a hundred mile a week athlete. And like it, it's working. Mm-hmm. And then you fill the other volume with a little bit of cross training. For example, you cross train one day, run one day, cross train, run, cross train, run, and then long run. Um, as long as you get that one big effort in, I think uh, every week you're going to be at least approaching the stimulus you're going to need on race day. So I think that's like a good option. Uh, have you ever prescribed or done that option yourself? Yeah, I have. And it's we had a talk with Mark Botris about why that's not the ideal route why it's better to run six or seven every single day, six to seven every single day, rather than just go out and do three off day, two off day, three off day, 20. And he's right. But it also does work for some people. And it works for a certain amount of time. And balancing what you do on top of that is important as well. But it's a viable option, and I've used that option. I have as well. Um, for me, it was like a period of time where it's like, it doesn't seem to matter how far I run. It's like, or it's like how often I run matters as much as anything. And Mm -hmm. so like, if I'm going to put my shoes on, let's swing and then recover from it versus like I could go six or 16 and I kind of feel the same way the next day, regardless. Some injuries are like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And some people respond that way. Um, yeah. And then the other, which is the one that I prescribed to the most over when I was injured is, I treat my quality days and my long runs as if I am a high mileage athlete. I run a quality session on a Tuesday that is like really high volume and high output and maybe it's 14 miles worth of work. And then I recover hard from that for two days without running at all and only cross training. Then I do a nice little recovery run on a Friday and then bam, on Saturday, I hit another huge stimulus. That would be what what you should, in quotes, be doing. You go run a three-hour long run and prep for your 50K. You go do those things. So then you just swing really hard on the days that matter. Mm-hmm. And you are pretty low run volume in between and you supplement with cross training and time that way. Those are the two yeah. approaches without like cutting corners that I think work. And the second one is the one that I've used a ton, just really big days when it matters and then low run volume in between and supplement with cross training. Yeah. And I think the key component there to both of them is the overlooked component, which is you have to be willing to then add in a lot of of non-impact cardio on top of it. The less you run in frequency or in volume, the more you have to be willing to make up for it in a certain way. And it generally is, you have to pick your poison. Like you can't be low volume and low mileage and low intensity. You have to have high somewhere. And so you either have to be willing to do a lot of extra cardio, you have to be willing to put a lot of cardio prior to each run, or you have to be willing to do a lot of relatively intense strength training. Like there isn't, we talk cheat codes, it's a cheat code only to a certain extent. You still have to put the work in. So which one are you willing to do really determines which one is best for you. Like you're very willing to do both actually. You've also been a proponent of the other style. And this is something that you've done. This is something I've played around with. This is something Alec Blennis, another guest we had, who he was doing with this athletes, this with athletes like eight years ago, I believe, which is you lift or you run after all of your lifts. I worked with a guy who had worked with Alex or with Alec, Alec Blennis, who said he went like two years without doing a run fresh. 
and it took him like six or eight weeks of hell. He felt like just hot death soup every run, just sluggish and heavy for like six to eight weeks because he was doing a lot of strength training and it always came first. And then suddenly he reached this point where nothing really hurt his legs. He just could exist in fatigue. And then when that pre-fatigue was gone before a race, his ultras went very, very well because he was used to doing all of his moving with heavy lifting in his body. And what really is an ultra other than really, really dealing with a lot of fatigue? Like the first 50 miles of 100 is that pre-fatigue. No one cares if you win the first 50. The first 50 is about you're going to build up a bunch of fatigue and then how do you handle that after? So that's another style of doing it. You and I have done the, the, the piece where we will lift legs the day before our quality session. So you're always coming in with pre-fatigue in your body. And then you just get more out of handling fatigue on the quality session. You may not be as fast on the quality session, but you are building a type of resistance to fatigue that's powerful. And then you remove the pre-fatigue before competition and you feel like a mm. rock star. So you have to be willing to choose a, a thing. Am I adding pre-fatigue? Am I adding cardio? Am I going to just do a ton of weight room to bulletproof myself? But it's not just amplify your water. You also have to be drinking enough water. Yeah, yeah, you got to drink enough water. I, uh, it's funny. I do those things without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, this morning, I hit the gym and I heavy barbell squatted. I walking lunged. I Bulgarian split squatted. I did all that. Had two hours of clients. Came home and then spent seventy five minutes at fifteen percent on the treadmill running uphill. <sighs> Didn't even think, like, that's just what I do, right? Like, it was a midweek long run. I let my heart sit in the gray zone for my one run this week, and I didn't even even think about those. Those are probably things that a lot of people do that find ways around it. I wouldn't have even brought that up today, Mm -hmm. and I do it it almost every week. So that's that's a really good talking point. And I think what you said is you still need to drink water is that this isn't about cutting really corners with the time investment. That's not what we're talking. We're not talking about like because you're right. lazy or because you have such a busy life that like you can't fit, you can't fit, find the time. We're not talking about like really cutting out the time as much as we're talking about finding a way to get the volume in required or the stimulus required without it all being from running, right? Like even yeah. your example of 10 miles, 10 by a mile with a bunch of lunges beforehand, like is it saving you time? Yes. But is it really saving you that? It's not going to be a game changer as far as saving you no. time logistically. No. And I would I – would, probably state well i'm going to state it but i would probably believe what i'm about to state which is the lower your run mileage the higher your training volume has to be to compensate for that someone who's running 100 miles per week yes let's say tyler german let's say he just averages and he's actually doing more than 100 but let's say he we're going by badger miles here he's just running seven minute miles so every day he's doing what 15 miles let's just call it so that's what no Badger Miles. Let's interrupt you. Do you know why? Like Badger Miles don't exist today. No, because GPS you know has made them exist. exist, made them obsolete. They went extinct. Yeah, because back in the day, Coach, uh, God, who was Coach? Nutty Comb, right? N- n- yeah, I think Nutty Comb at the time was like, I don't care. You're not cutting your mileage short. So like, you go run seventy minutes, it's ten miles. We don't have GPS watches. It's just interesting how the times have changed. Badger miles were simply because we didn't have the technology to know how far we went. So yeah, it was like we're just going to pretend everything's seven minutes. I just find that uh, like, yeah. Do they still call them badger miles, or that is that it's still a thing? Up? 
people use it on treadmills. So the yeah, the Wisconsin Badgers, and I believe it was Nutty Comb. It was either him or Jerry. It had to have been Nutty Comb, who was the head coach well, at University probably, of Wisconsin. Okay, Could have been Jerry. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Either way, w- w- the head coach decided we're running miles based on minutes. So when you do your summer training, with summer mileage, yeah, yeah, you do your summer training. Every seven minutes counts as a mile for the guys. Every eight minutes for the girls. And so that way you can't say, "Oh, I know this is an X mile route," or there were no GPSs. So you just said, like you said, seventy minute run was a ten mile run, and that's how he logged it. And then he knew because he had D one athletes. That's your bare minimum. You're probably getting more than that, but you're not shortcutting things. So that just became a thing. It was known as Badger Miles. I did ten Badger Miles today. That was code for I ran. 70 minutes. What Do you think that was Wisconsin-centric, or did that make its way across? Oh, that's nationwide. That span across North America. Badger Miles. Okay, yeah. I didn't know if that was because our, you know, we're, like, local biased. I don't mean to tangent you. I just find that, like, amusing that that is even still a thing in today's world. Yeah. Now, what, what did I say originally? What was I? I don't even remember why I brought up Badger Miles. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, <laughs> uh, that's on me for sure. Uh, okay, Tyler Jimenez. this. <laughs> oh yeah 100 mile weeks so if you're running badger miles seven minutes per mile 10 minute run i mean a 10 mile run is 70 minutes so for add five more you're at what you got another uh 35 minutes hour 45 per day of running so what does that work out to for a seven day week of training hours it's something like nine hours no sorry it's like uh it's like 10 hours 11 hours of training hour what's hour 45 times seven kirk this is where this isn't running math, so I can't An hour do this. Forty-five times seven. Let's just say twelve hours. Almost. This is thir- it'd be like eleven and forty-five right, or something. Fifteen minutes times seven. Yeah. Okay. It's an hour forty-five. Hour forty-five. Take that off of fourteen. Okay. So twelve fifteen. What got there? Somebody's gonna write in. It Let's just call matter. it a twelve-hour 12. week. Twelve-hour training week on a hundred-mile oh, weeks. <laughs> okay. And That's and most likely thing. they're getting done a little faster. He doesn't have to do much else to bulletproof his legs for a 50-mile trail race or road race or a 50K. He doesn't have to do much. But if you're only able to run seven hours per week, you probably need to be doing another two to three hours of lifting. So now you're back up to 10 hours a week. And realistically, you should be cross-training on top of that. You get an extra 30 minutes of cross-training a day, and now you're right back up to 12 hours. And if you really want to replace the running volume, you have to do more than 30 minutes of cross training to make up for the 30 minutes of run. So you might even have to double it. So you might even be a higher mileage. You're at least the same, if not a higher mileage athlete, if you're not running big volume, because running big volume leaves you so depleted that you don't have time to do a lot of other or energy to do a lot else. And you don't really want to, and you don't need it as much. Yes. And I can attest to that firsthand when i was injured and coming out of injury 2020 that's when we put on our beer mile and our burpee tent i don't think i was running much then at all right or very little anyways after some foot issues and i go back and looked at my uh strava we'll call it suffer score so to speak and the time i put in when i was injured in quotes trying to make everything work i to this day have not come close to the amount of output i put in when i'm injured from even just like a metabolic stimulus, cardiac output front, mm-hmm. from the amount of time on feet, like if you're going to make it work, it's almost like you might need to put in more time than the guy who can run all the mm-hmm. volume necessary. And so I, it, it could be misleading. Like how do we work around 
putting too much time in. Um, but it might actually be the opposite. It's obviously spent in different ways, but it's very glaring. I look back, and my highest scores consistently are 30 points higher on the Strava scale than they sit now when I'm exclusively running in yeah. a little assault biking. So it's just, like, it's very noteworthy that, like, yeah, it, there's no way around the time component, in my no. in my opinion, in general. Yeah, Pro marathoners train... 11 to 15 hours per week pro triathletes train 20 to 30 and cyclists are like 30 to 40 there's a reason for that the impact means you can do more and you have to do more because you're not impacting and so you have to build up tolerance and resistance and all of that fitness in other ways so okay so we talked about the the running sense let's just break down like i think the better example to break down and then we'll go into the cute stuff like the compromise mm-hmm. work and the, the ways that we can fatigue ourselves without all the run volume um let's why don't we break down the big hammer swing week i like that one the most meaning like i'm going to be a big volume athlete on tuesday and saturdays but everything else is going to be lower volume why don't we break that down like let's say you break your week down I think any athlete who's taking their training seriously should have one true quality session a week and one long run or hybrid long run quality session per week. So we have our two big swings, maybe a third with would be a midweek long run with like lower volume in between. Like mm-hmm. the way I would break that down like simply is let's say I always convert time spent cross training to miles. I use seven minute mile. I use badger miles when I cross train roughly seven minutes on the assault bike for me equals one mile of running so fully healthy if that's what i would like to do if i could run it all and let's say i do a 10 mile recovery run on a monday well guess who's going 70 minutes or more the Mm -hmm. the the caveat is or more in your modality i'm getting my heart rate right into the 130s on the assault bike like i would on a 10 mile recovery run and i'm keeping it there and i'm doing that for 70 minutes and i'm getting roughly the same metabolic stimulus we're just talking cardio here strength aside tuesday i go hit 14 miles of quality work and eight miles of that is you know tempo or threshold whatever it might be and that's just a run day and i put in a big day like holy smokes wednesday same thing i do an eight mile recovery run but i can't handle that i'm beat up my shins hurt from the day before I go put in 56 minutes of assault bike work again or elliptical or whatever your heart desires. Get on the road bike. Thursday comes, maybe I'm a three-day-a-week runner, and I'm training for a 50K, which I was for a very mm-hmm. – when I ran my best 50K, in fact, I was running three. I ran 17 total miles the week before my 50K, like the two weeks prior, for example, and I still went out and felt great. Thursday, maybe it's you can get 70 minutes on feet. Who knows? Friday, same thing. Another eight miles equivalent in cross-training – Whatever mileage, if you run nine-minute miles or 10-minute miles, yeah, then you're stuck doing 80 minutes of work on your assault bike or whatever it is. And then Saturday you hit, and it's a run day again, and it's time to go three hours on the trails because you're going to be racing for four or five or six in your 50K, and you need a three-hour long run, and I do think you need a three-hour long run or close to it. Then you do that, and you rest on Sunday, and you start all over again. So you take a step back, you look at your week, and you say, I'm not going to use because I can't run doesn't mean I'm not going to do shit. I'm not going to do anything. So I'm going to put the equivalent time in and cross training modalities in between run sessions that count. And then you can take a step back and say, okay, if I did run, look at this, I would have ran 75 miles this week. If I did, if that matters to you. And then you start building confidence and momentum. You've hit the big quality session swings and the long run swings that matter. And you haven't shorted yourself on the metabolic front at all. You spent the same time in the heart rate zones. You should. You allowed your body to recover between sessions because that Achilles tendonitis just won't go away. And you're still able to get through that way. And so 
I hope that laid it out clear enough. That's the approach I've taken and prescribed for people. And maybe mm-hmm. this is like everybody knows this and it's not earth shattering, but I think it, it it's worth the conversation. Yeah. And I think that's great. And I think that's where a lot of people should start. And then either the other place to start or the next step from that is you start adding in runs to that. Now you're in between days, you run Correct. 10 or 20 minutes, but it's at the end of your cardio session. So I'm going to do 70 minutes on the assault bike, but I'm going to make it 60 and I'm doing a 10 minute run off the bike. Easy, slow, recovery pace, great form, good little pitter patter stride, getting off the ground, but I'm running on fatigued legs. And over the course of my training block, I'm trying to extend the amount of time I'm doing prior and during the run. And early on, you might have to do that run in the middle. Maybe early on, it has to be your first 10 minutes. And then I do an hour on the bike after. And later on, I can do 30 on the bike, 10 to 15 run, another 20, maybe 30. But by the end, I can do a 60-minute ride and then run 10 to 20 minutes. And then you start extending pieces to that. But I think there is power. I believe there is power to frequency of running. If everyone could run every day, they would all be better at running. It's not in the cards for everyone, but even one mile, one mile every single day probably isn't going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back, but it's enough to stay acquainted with the skill of running and improve your skill. And if it's done at the end of an hour of workout, now it's weightier than one mile of running would normally be. If you just woke up, stretched out, ran a mile, and then later in the day biked an hour. Or got done and biked an hour. And on the other side, you woke up, biked an hour, and then ran a mile. And you did both of those two. Let's say you and your twin did those two paths. One ran, then biked. One biked, then ran. At the very end of your training block, the one who biked and ran would be a better runner. And I don't, I don't think it would be really close. You'd have the same seven miles think- per week. And in a 50K, the one who biked first and ran second would crush the other one. It's three times the hydration, Bracken triple it hydration multiplier triple it but you would have the effectiveness of a 30 mile per week runner or a 25 mile per week runner just by biking an hour before every run mike ferguson who we had a chance of catching up with Mm -hmm. at my wedding this weekend it was great seeing mike um him and i used to do and this is my uh, lower mileage uh days we did this often uh, I joined him sometimes. He did it all the time. We would do this hour and a half boot camp that his wife, Amberly put on but with no real purpose. It was like we did a bunch of squat. We just spent circuit training for 90 minutes, like pretty hard stuff. Like by the end, like you're pretty beat up. They were great workouts. And then we go put our running shoes on and we go on like four miles mm-hmm. or six miles. That's it. And it was the worst slog and most fatigued. It's like I could for me, I could barely run seven minute pace, and I was like, I hate this, and this is terrible, and I feel so tired. Like this is not enjoyable, and I was so fatigued in those. But they made us like an odd, weird monster. Mm-hmm. And Mike, in particular, was doing that a ton. Mike was taking those classes three days a week and doing his recovery runs afterwards. And that was the year he was busting through the seams in the U.S. National Series in 2017. Yeah. And I, I was coaching him like, at the time. Did you know run. that? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah we had that in his plan. We, I believe. Yeah, we worked on it along with like into his training yeah. plan. It was it was a it was the first time I'd ever done that. The amount of power I could just feel it. Like you'd recover and then you'd go run one day without doing that beforehand, just like you spoke about the Alec Blennis athlete. And it was like running on clouds, dude. It was like unbelievable. I'd run a minute pile per mile faster and it'd feel 
two minutes per mile easier or slower. It's just like bizarre mm-hmm. how well it worked. And I think there's a lot of power to fatiguing. This happened to be circus style strength work. It could be the bike or the rower or the assault bike. But like if your body is taking damage and is being forced to run on a regular basis, like when the damage hits in the race, it's going to be nothing new and it's going right. to be prolonged even further into it. So I agree. And I felt that. Yeah. I just think right now at home sitting there, if you went out and did a four mile run, on a fresh, fresh body, wake up in the morning, have your caffeine, do four miles. Or let's say you just walked up and down the stairs in your home for 30 minutes, just walked up and down and then did four miles. Are those two runs going to feel the same? No. And that's like the most simple form of compromise running there could be just 30 minutes of walking up and down 13 steps. But you're going to have fatigue going into that run and you're already going to have an elevated heart rate and respiration and energy burning for 30 minutes prior to starting. And so when you get to the run and do four miles, those four miles are like the final four miles of a six or an eight mile run without the pounding that precedes it. So they are just weightier from a cardiovascular standpoint, from an from a oxygen transport standpoint, from a energy burning standpoint, and then from a running with a fatigued body standpoint. The only thing it doesn't address is building up tolerance to impact, but you're in this position because you can't handle more impact to begin with. Right. So you're getting like, I don't know, somewhere between 50 to 90% of the benefits of a long run, depending on what you're doing prior but with none of the pounding of it. So it's, again, this isn't best case training for pro athletes, but this is best case training for someone who can't train like a pro athlete. Let's, um, let's go off the rails just a second then. All right. In regards to what we're talking about, not off the rails, but like a heavy tangent off of this. And that poses the question intentionally waiting till after work to run. Mm-hmm. It also poses the question, of getting up an hour extra early in the morning so you do your strength work and instead of doing an a.m session and a p.m session you do your a.m lift at 5 a.m instead of 6 a.m and then you get your run in at 6 a.m to 7 a.m and then go to work for the day do you feel like you're getting triple the multiplier out of one waiting until the end of a work day let's say you work a laborious job or it's just the fatigue of the day or two um piggybacking workouts instead of splitting them up we haven't talked about this it just spawned an interesting question in my brain so what do you think yes all things being equal yes but all things are not equal most people can't survive that the athletes that i've worked with who have decided to go to a standing desk or work a manual job and have decided to do their workouts no matter how fatigued they are. All have performed exceptionally well on race day for the ultra distance, provided they make it there. Most people do not have it in themselves to hold themselves accountable every single day through that type of fatigue because your motivation drops as your fatigue rises. That's just the way humans are wired. You get up at six in the morning, head off to your manual labor job or to your standing desk, and you're like, this is going to be awesome. I bought my minimal shoes. They're super flexible. I'm going to stand in them all day long, and then I'm going to hit a compromised workout tonight. And by 11 a.m., you're like, oh, I can feel it starting. This is going to be epic. And by three, you're like, I wonder if I should cut it short tonight. And you get home at five, and you crack a drink open, and you sit on the couch and say, this wouldn't be smart to do. 
because it is not pleasant, especially early on. Those first two weeks for some people, up to like six weeks or eight weeks for some people, it takes that much time to get accustomed to what you're going to do. But your body will adapt to anything. You will adapt to it, but most people don't survive the adaptation process. Yeah. Reminds me of the, uh, you know, Chris Solinsky, uh, who held the American record for a bit in the 10K at 26.59, I think, mm-hmm. in a race in which was set up for Galen Rupp to break the American record. And then Chris Solinsky stole the show. But that aside, Chris Solinsky won the Foot Locker Cross Country Nationals his junior and senior year. And when interviewed, He's like, well, I'm on the 100-mile-a-week, 100-pound bales of hay program because he grew up in <laughs> rural Wisconsin. He's like, yeah, I throw 100-pound bales of hay all around all day working on the farm. I think he worked for his uncle's farm or local farmer. So he's like, then I run. I run after that. I run in the afternoons because farms, it's early mornings. He's like, yeah, just like 100-pound bale, bales of hay and 100 miles a week. That was the recipe. And you know what? As silly as that was, like I was like, that guy's a badass. I remember hearing that, but I'm like, there probably is actually something to that. Guy was slinging hay all day, working heavy, working, fatiguing his body, and it worked. Dude put up. I mean, he's lucky. He was also he's a, a freak in the sense where he could stay healthy through all of that. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, like, makes me think back to that old – I mean, maybe maybe folks out there should try it. Just start throwing 100-pound bales of hay around, run 100-mile weeks, and you'll be a American record holder. Crazier things have happened. I've, I've talked yeah, about this before on here, but when I was training for my first ultra, I couldn't handle the pounding. And so I did – at least, I think I did 50%. I did every other weekend. My long run was part two of a bike. So if I was doing hill reps, we were living in Lake Geneva at the time, I would bike to Alpine Valley, which was like 16 or 22 miles or whatever it was. And I would bike hard. I would tempo there. And then I would do 60 to 90 minutes of hill reps. Have already done an hour of hard biking. And then the next week I would do a real long run. And then the next week I would, would you time try. I don't remember that summer. I believe I biked home or I'd get picked up. I think probably the first time I got picked up Big and then the next time I biked home. Big day. And then the next time I, it's a, mm-hmm. it was like 22 miles, 21 miles around the lake, I would time trial around the lake and then I would do my, my six to 10 mile run or hill workout. And so all, all of those workouts, which was 50% of my total long run volume was done in a very depleted state. I didn't take in any pounding, but go time trial on a bike and tell me how your quads feel. Like they feel Bad. like you are pre-fatigued partway through an ultra already. And then now you have to gather your stride together and complete your run. But every step of that 10-mile run is like you've already run 10 miles. Not the impact, but the fatigue. And that amplifies that sort of mileage. And I had a good ultra. Yeah, so I think we're driving that point home, aren't we? Yeah. Um, basically, we took we took the plan I outlined, which is just literally substitute time-wise your run volume for cross-training volume. And if you want to get the triple three times multiplier, or however we want to coin this thing, mm-hmm. and you start layering in your running, you can start running a little more, or on purpose even, like, hey, I'm going to be ahead of this and make sure I stay injury-free. Maybe I bike for 30 minutes and I run for 30 minutes. Maybe tacking that run on at the end of your fatigue or in a fatigue state just is another way to like squeeze a few more percentage points out of your potential on race day. So I think we outlined those two things, like mm-hmm. bringing it full circle, I'd say fairly cleanly. What is your um, what is your take then, if we're talking about sneaking and mileage, about doing that in your long run? You just touched on it a little bit, but um, I was doing two-hour long runs and 
for a good period of time and maybe an hour that was spent running, you know, circuits. I would do mm-hmm. 20 wall balls and 1,000 calorie row and then um, this and the lunges and then a mile run. And I'd just say it's a two-hour AMRAP. And I'd go back and look and I'd, and I'd spend 55 minutes running and 65 minutes doing other things. Yeah. By the end of it, I feel like I got two hours of running in no matter what. Like, what are your, do you have any other, like, talking points with any of that? Well, just that it echoes what we said in a previous episode, I believe last week, where one of the big benefits of compromised running, which is this style of work where you pre-fatigue yourself, is that you're hitting your normal volume significantly later into the workout. So if you had 60 minutes of running in you, but the last five minutes occurred from hour 155 to two. That is an hour later than those five minutes would have occurred normally. So those five minutes have been amplified. They are not minutes 55 to 60 of a 60 minute run. They're minutes 155 to two hours of a two hour workout. And so it's just weightier. You have to just work so much harder to keep your form together and your heart rate down and your breathing smooth and your cadence going two hours into a workout compared to one hour. Like that's not rocket science. So I think those mixed modality workouts, I I have an hour of pounding in me. I can work for two hours. Yeah. Rowing, run, row, run, row, run, row, run. It just delays the amount of time it takes to end your workout. And that is extremely powerful. Are you going to PR your 5k off that? depends what your prior PR was. If it was built off college track, probably not. Are you going to PR a 50 miler off that? Probably. Yeah. And that's all we're focused on today. I don't think this is the way to run your fastest 5k. Right. Uh, I agree with you on that, especially if you've been at it for a long time. If you're new to this, anything's going to work. Like stimulus is going to be stimulus and you're going to progress. But I do agree with you. I think anything over two hours, uh, hour and a half maybe, but two hours for sure, you start to have a fighting chance when you start layering in other ways of fatiguing yourself. Yeah. I, the way to run a faster 5K is to spend time running fast and getting used to that sort of even biomechanical efficiency. But the way mm-hmm. to run longer faster is to get used to running damaged and tired and being able to endure when all the pretty is gone and yeah. the fresh legs are gone. And all of that. So, yeah. So, we're talking – I don't know. I break, I'm thinking two hours and longer. I don't know what you're thinking in regards sure. to this episode, but that's what yeah, my – Yeah, marathon, ultras. And you know what? In that column, those yeah. columns I was making with the common complaints by runners, one was that I'm just bored to death by running. I just – it is mm-hmm. tedious and torture to run for two hours. I just can't even – well, intervals. Intervals are a great way to do that. Intervals can extend your your concentration – so far. And if you fill the space in between the intervals with something other than rest, then it is a continuous effort. And your cardiovascular system doesn't care if you're running or not the whole time and your running gets amplified. So I think it's a great way just simply for those people who don't want to run for 90 minutes straight. Can't or won't. Mm -hmm. Doesn't even matter in this equation. You can get 90 minutes done with five minutes on five minutes off, but the off is spent doing something else. And you can change what that off is every time. If you're at a gym, run for five minutes, treadmill, then do stair climber. And then the next round, it's a salt bike. And the next round, it's rower. And the next round, it's skier. And the next round, it's elliptical. Is that the best bang for your buck? No. But if it's the difference between getting a 60 minute run in or no run and getting a 90 minute or two hour effort, it's a no brainer. Like we're not trying to train the best possible way because we've already decided that's not going to happen. 
I don't think anyone could argue that a 90-minute mixed modality workout is worse than not running that day if you're healthy. Like that's, you can't argue that. Mm-hmm. So if it's your way to get a long run in, then that's just the best possible workout for you. Yeah, I said that to you this weekend. We were Bracken and I went 15 miles together, and then I tacked on just a few extra to hit my, my weekly oh, goal. You just but, had to let um, everyone know. We, no, I, I, I did. We, you ran, we ran well together. We did. Right but, up until we didn't. Um, but I told you, it was like mile 14 or 13. I was like, I'm not in, like, I hate this. I hate just going out and running time yeah. on feet. Like I'm running on the roads with intention because I have five, I'm running another 5k here in less than two weeks. And all that aside, I'm in that camp kind of right now. Like I've done the long stuff and I think I just like played that card for the last year or two. And now I'm like, I want to run fast and going out. It's just like pulling teeth man like i was like i hate this i want to be done like i feel like that on all my long runs thankfully for your company but it can't even happen to the best deal like sometimes it's like you want to make a workout go fast sure throw some other stuff in the middle and we probably could have got the same work done going in and out for my assault bike and running and uh, we, we could have made a circuit and it could have went by in a flash and the run with you did go quick and the talking did slow down as the miles went on and that's when it started to yeah started to wear right the distractions sort of faded yeah um but but i don't think any workouts gone faster than mixed modality sessions no even looking at that run very quick that was the longest run i've done this year by five miles i got over 15 that day that's fantastic but it was what an hour 40 hour 45 somewhere in there for me i was in the hour 40s that's not a long Mm -hmm. enough long run to prepare for an ultra but i couldn't do it any longer it wasn't even smart for me to try to do another mile, and I was I was digging so deep to get it done. But I could have kept that same exertion by simply walking inside and getting on your assault bike for another five minutes, and then the rower for another five. Mm-hmm. And then could I have gone outside and run another mile? Yeah. Probably. And then inside for another five and another five? Yeah, for sure. So suddenly, I've just added another 27 minutes onto the workout without really any more cost to me. Like it's a no-brainer if I'm training for a long event that that would have been better for me. In fact, it would have been better for me long-term to stop two miles earlier before I was thrashed and gone inside and done another full hour on your incline trainer and rower, which I could have done if I would have stopped two hour, two miles earlier. Um, you helped me put the canoe on my truck. We hauled 30 packs of water into the... That's in right. Bed, we, I mean, we kept that train rolling after the run was done. So don't you kid yourself. You got that work in. That's right. You put in at least two hours of volume, you know? That's two hours of volume. But could I have done three had I stopped my run two to three miles earlier and gone to power hiking? Absolutely. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I think we drove that point home. Um, I don't think we're reinventing the wheel here, but I mean, honestly, it's just a good reminder for me to chat out. Like the little thing about me doing strength work this morning and then forcing myself to run at 15% for 70 minutes, like, huh, just reminding myself of those little things to continue to do those is important mm-hmm. for me to just hear right? things that we don't register things unless they're brought to the surface for us. So this has been good for me already up to this point, um, but we haven't even gotten to the other stuff yet. I see you want to say something. Well, there's a lot of others, but I think you brought up the most important thing we haven't talked about yet. That the greatest volume amplifier is uphill work. Like if you know I can't exceed 40 miles a week running or 20 and it takes you five hours a week. Well, what if you did five hours of running at 10% incline? How much less pounding are you going to take at 10%? Like 50% less? 
so much can you add another hour or two i think what did we say on we were running together on saturday and i stand by this for sure and i was like yeah i did legs on thursday i did a quality session friday and now i'm running a long run with you on saturday so my legs should be tired and you're like yeah you did quality yesterday and i said yeah but i didn't really like i ran uphill at 15 percent. i said i feel like uphill running is free fitness like we started running like my legs are bouncy today they shouldn't be bouncy i did quality yesterday but i literally took no impact compared to concrete that's flat it's like free fitness i think running uphill is literally free nearly free (laughs) as long as you don't have achilles and calf issues it feels free yeah yeah it's gonna cost you energy but your five hours of running at 10 percent will not damage you the same as five hours of running on concrete and so even though you don't hit 40 miles there you've hit the same amount of work but you don't have any damage so can you double that or even meet in the middle. Can you do seven and a half hours of cardio now that week? Or can you run your 40 miles or maybe drop it to 35 and then do an additional five hours of 10 to 15% work? You're running an ultra. It's not a speed competition outside of the elite. It's a stamina competition. It's a staying power. It's a, am I going to cramp? Am I going to have to walk the whole time? That's what you're training for. Mm-hmm. So you can almost double your volume in terms of time on feet if you run uphill. Now, you have to use Badger Miles then if you want to care about your mileage. If you need to see mileage, right. you're going to have to choose Badger Miles because otherwise running at 10% incline is going to get you like 20 miles in the amount of time it would normally take you to run 30 outdoor. So you have to give that up. But again, this episode is about compromises. Something has to give somewhere. Yeah, I remember for those of you in the OCR scene and the Spartan scene, when I first came into the sport in 2016, I know... I think our run, our listener base bracket is like more runners than OCR people now. Nowadays, I think so. What I'm gathering. So I know some of this falls on a little bit of deaf ears, but bear with me. When uh, in the OCR, when I first got into it in 2016, I started following all the Spartan pros uh, to see what they were, you know, what they were like. And God, did I idolize pretty much everybody because everybody seems like such monsters. And it was like shameful plug, shameless plugging of yourself on social media those mm-hmm. days. How people try to be a little more tactful with it. But anyways. And I just remember seeing Matt Novakovich going uphill on his incline trainer talking about how it was a secret sauce to longevity and his his success. And he went out and ran 450 or something in the mile or 445, and he said he only has been doing 30% work. And I always thought it was, like, such crap. Mm-hmm. I really did. I was like, whatever. Like, you're just you're just putting lipstick on a pig here and you're patch jobbing something and calling it something it's not. But he was also older. He was already 40 or 41 or whatever it was. And injury prone, which I didn't know. Guy can't run a lot of flat miles, if I'm not mistaken. You know him Correct. better than I do. And now that I get older and I've used the incline trainer now and I've run uphill more, I hadn't run a lick of uphill back then. Um, at all, like I think that might be the most powerful tool in the person who can't handle high run volume in their arsenal above all else. Forget the cute assault bike work. Forget the million lunges and Bulgarian split squats. Forget. Anything we talked about today, I think that is even more so than compromise running the cheat code to at least like, yes, you're going to have to be able to take damage and impact out on course. That's going to be necessary and you need to train on real terrain. But I think single-handedly uphill running is the biggest triple X multiply hydration factor of endurance training. What do you think? If you had to pick the one, you agree with that? Yeah, because you can do almost unlimited time. Assuming your calves and Achilles stay healthy, which means one caveat. Yep. You have to find the correct angle for you initially. And that angle can increase over time. But early on, you have to stick to 
what works for my Achilles and calves because they are going to take a little bit of time to get used to it. But if you can keep your calves and Achilles healthy, you can run 100 mile weeks in terms of time on feet uphill and anyone can do it. In terms of badger miles, you can do 12 hours a week of uphill work as long as your calves and Achilles are fine. And any person can do that. Anyone who's healthy and able-bodied. Yes. I think a, a deadly combination would be doing a uphill workout and finishing on the flats, for example. If you could really, like, really put together the perfect, like, hybrid of pure just run work, it'd be like, sure, go on the uphill, go for at 15%, 30%, whatever it is for an hour, then finish the 20 mm-hmm. minutes of running. Oh, my God. On flat ground, like, then go out your door. Oh, you'd be a monster, and you'd be yeah. healthy. And I think that's what Matt used to do. He used to hike for like an hour and 90 minutes, and then he'd run a five-minute mile flat on his treadmill just to keep – that was his flat ground work. He would just do that like once a week just to keep the ability to turn over quickly on flat ground. And a five-minute mile on a Nordic track might as well be a four-minute mile in real life. So Yeah, he's probably the fastest man alive. Those are calibrated for sure, yeah. Um all right. I don't know. I just felt like that was really worth honing in on that uphill component now that you kind of ran with that conversation yeah. piece. Oh, powerful. Still single-handedly the biggest fitness game changer for me uh, when I discovered. When you started prescribing it for me, honestly, when I was under your tutelage. 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 I like tutelage. tutelage. When, I was, yeah. when, I was under, when I was under your training umbrella when I was new to uh, the trails in OCR and it was like, oh, there's 15% work every week. Like mm-hmm. what is this new – crap and man did it just it changed me it made me a faster 5k or even in three months and we weren't doing any 5k work it just works so we can leave that alone if we want now but well still to this day if i'm imprisoned for like a year and i'm given one thing to come out of captivity in monster shape i'm choosing my incline trainer that's it because i can do push-ups I can do air squats, you know, lunges, whatever. One tool. Give me only one thing to my name. I'm choosing an incline trainer. What do you think would send you into prison for a year? What do you, how do you think it's going to happen if it were to? Oh, man. What do you think you would do? Hopefully something like... Anything in, come to mind? I'd, hopefully I was like a vigilante or something. Uh, you're like saving somebody's life in the process, but had to do yeah, something very illegal. Had to go outside the law. To save America. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't do a lot of <laughs> I don't do a lot of illegal things, Kirk. A few yeah, a few years ago I almost did something very illegal and I stopped myself. And I can tell you off mic what it was, but I, I got to this moment where I thought I could see why I would do this. And I almost did it. And I didn't. That's as close oh, as I've wow. come to breaking the law as an adult. <laughs> and what what was it exactly? I'm not gonna say it. I had this thought, and I don't mean to get mushy and also psychotic at the same time, but I was thinking about how I love Jess so much and how she's like just the most pure human being. She just doesn't have a bad bone in her body, right? And I don't know why I thought about this. It was the day after our wedding on Sunday, and I was just sitting there envisioning somebody being awful to her, like assaulting her or like Mm going to harm her. And this rage came over me like I was in visual and like – visualizing the situation and i said i would kill somebody if i i would punch them in the face until their brains came out their ears like i think that's how it would happen to me somebody did something to my like i came mm-hmm. into one of those situations that would send me to i for sure would i think i think i i would yeah. be able to help i'd kill somebody on accident but not on accident i'd go to prison 
Yeah. I thought about it with her specifically. Like, what would I do to defend her honor? I would kill. I would smash. Hundred percent. And once you have kids, it's going to be the same go. thing. You would too. Yeah. This would be a physical altercation defending somebody who can't defend themselves and Correct. overdoing it. That's what would put me in prison. Um, <laughs> Choose your incline <laughs> trainer. Do you get one request? Like in advance, I'm going to forsake my last meal. I would like one piece of fitness equipment instead. And then just get zapped hungry. Sure, why not? It all. Yeah. Okay. I'll be real lean and ripped. Yeah, you want to have an eight-pack yeah. on that final day. Got it. Uh, okay, wow. Um, you know, the sense somehow it, tangents find their way in, and you just can't help me. just can't help it. So I think we outlined that side of things pretty well, uh, meaning like replacing run volume, adding run stand of workouts, fatigued running, from other modalities you started this conversation with the compromise piece you went right into like how do i simulate a 10 mile run mm -hmm. worth of damage and we're, we've talked about a lot of ways to do that but you did talk about compromised running to start and then i sort of pulled us in another direction so i thought maybe we should at least finish that part of the conversation unless you feel like we've touched on it by explaining everything else i think we've touched on it and it gives people a reason to sign up for our night school class since the entire thing will be focused on the what, the why, the how of compromise running. Why don't you explain the the premise or our thought behind? Uh, we don't have anything set in stone yet, folks. But the night yeah. school. Why don't you? This is your brainchild. So with our, I mean, I was a teacher. My wife was a teacher, and you are full time one on one with clients, which is just teaching in a physical capacity. And we understand the value of actual coursework and deeper dives into things. So concept of night school is just continuing education on the path towards trying to become a master of the running. That's it. Just the running, whether it's running it yourself, coaching yourself, coaching others, teaching others. This is for anyone. This is for people who want to take control of their running to a greater level or who are looking to deepen their understanding for as a high school coach or for working with others who or people who want to become a coach. We get messages all the time. Hey, I'm, I'm looking to start coaching. Where should I start? This is a basically taking a training Tuesday topic and making an entire deep dive on it so that you know everything you need to know at this point in time that we know about this topic. Coursework, video lectures, homework, the whole shebang. What's well, like, um, like sure, like high level pro athletes have coaches their entire career. They're, they're very much the exception, not the rule. Mm -hmm. Um, for example, I knew a lot about running, uh, but I didn't know a lot about OCR and I hired Bracken to coach me for a little while before I quickly picked up on it, made my own philosophies as well. Mm -hmm. And and made it my own in a sense. The idea behind like a night school would be like, yes, you having a coach is great. Yes, following a training plan is great. But at some point, you want to move the puzzle pieces and play chess versus having somebody tell you where to move the pawn or how to jig your queen or whatever the heck the term is. I don't play chess. Um, so point I is, don't either, is but that teachable, can't possibly so be the, the term. Jig your queen? For yeah. sure. People are jigging queens all over. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. I'll take your word for it. You're going to slide your knight. Anyways, um, so like giving you the two. <laughs> TRP, giving you the, the running public, should stand for tangential <laughs> running public. <laughs> we should just rebrand. Oh, we should not rebrand. Um, 
Point being is maybe giving you the tools to make the actual training decisions yourself. Like, you know, there's knowledge and then there's applied knowledge, right? And maybe taking that from like hearing us talk to then being able to just actually apply it on your own, make those decisions for yourself versus yeah. outsource. And of course, there's a lot of value in outsourcing all the time, no matter how much you know, there's still going to be a place and most people are going to probably want that. But um, that I would say that'd be the goal more than anything, right? Yeah, that, and even if you're never going to do it yourself, it's like a hydration multiplier for your workouts. Going in and understanding exactly why a workout would be programmed the way it is, what the intended physical and mental response is from this workout. When you understand every nook and cranny of it, you know how to execute it better. You know what is a smart bailout point versus an excuse. You know, what will this do in the mix of the rest of my week? When you understand why it's programmed at an intimate level, you can just get more out of the workout. So yeah, it's it's intended for people to take this and run with it and use it. If you want to turn around and use this to coach other people, fantastic. We're going to have more fit people in this world. That's great. And if you want to just use it to get more out of your own workouts, good. You're investing in yourself. Bet on you. I like that. Um, we shouldn't like give this too much lip service because we don't have this like it's not like next week we're rolling out with this so like we could let's just yeah well thanks to you and and then going to we and then this would look like what like a program that people like explain it just like give it like a 30 second elevator pitch and like the logistics of it not the content it's designed like a unit in school and so there's a syllabus, there's an outline, there is a, a weekly um, reading assignment with homework and a lecture with it. And then it just goes, these are going to be anywhere from three to six week courses, which you could like any sort of online on your own school. To be actually show up and take a class. What are we talking here? It'll be That's independent work so with a, things. it'll be an independent work with a, um, a, a group session once per week on top of it, which isn't mandatory like any online course. You get out of it what you want, but there will be a group session where I'll be present. And depending on your schedule, I, I'm not going to speak for you yet, but where there'll be a representative of the running public live on a call like a like a lecture would be where you, you had the lecture, you did the reading, and now we're breaking it down as a group, making sure that we're striving for understanding and mastery before we move on to the next lesson. So, I mean, this is like a that's my favorite part of community about, college night school. That's my favorite me. part about the leaderboard days is the uh, the weekly hour long. Everybody hopped down and just kind of looked at your mug. You had a much like jankier setup back then. You were just like in a living room or in like the bathroom or the closet. It was the something. children's bedroom. Whatever it was children's bedroom talking yep. but it brought like you know a bunch of us together and we could interact with each other and that was kind of a i remember enjoying that looking forward to those evening logins when i could mm-hmm. enjoyed that uh maybe people would enjoy that as well um all right let's move on from that night school situation um any so we don't want to talk about compromise running anymore i mean we've done episodes on it but i guess in regards to this do we, i think we Not gave today. it enough lip service just the general the 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 philosophy yeah. behind it, we'll call it. That compromise running could be the bike ride and then the run. It could be For walking sure. lunges and then a mile repeat. It could be any of that. Because here's the thing. If someone is not currently a believer in compromise running, you're not going to change their mind right here in the last 10 minutes of the episode. If someone already is a believer in compromise running, they've already listened to some of our episodes on it, and they understand that when we're talking about amplifying volume with pre-fatigue, they're going to understand where to begin on that. And with anyone who has further questions, we'll have plenty more episodes. We've done plenty in the past. You can dig through the archives, but this course is designed exactly for that topic. Yeah. 
Um, what else? What are we missing here with this one? Like, I can't decide if we have like twelve more doors to open or we have none. I just like we could stretch it out if we wanted to, but I just don't know if we're missing any low hanging fruit. What am I missing? What are we missing? What I've learned with us, I think, with is the strength work, we could. This is an endless hallway with us. At some point, we just have to turn and walk out the exit. We're not going to run out of doors. Yeah. I think I just want to emphasize, you said we weren't going to talk much about strength work, and we've talked about doing a run after strength work or cardio after Mm -hmm. strength work or whatever it is. But I think the biggest tool you have, uh, or your best card to play, or your best king to shimmy on the board, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, is going to be the, the old queen jig. Yeah, the best queen to jig is going to be the lower body strength work that just you can create such damage in a good way you know our body uh, adapts to damage and becomes stronger more resilient from the strength front like playing the leg and lower body card becoming a squat monster loading up your bulgarian split squats like really putting focus sessions and maybe even frequent sessions on the lower body on the strength front is one of your cheat codes i just don't want that to go like we're talking strength in general but i want you to know like your legs are a big component if you can't run enough like you can induce fatigue and damage and muscle breakdown in other ways and that has to be a huge component for that those who can't run high mileage Mm -hmm. Um, you need to find a way to bulletproof them and i just want to make sure that was said before like we start wrapping this thing up like legs are a huge component of this you're that's what you're using when you're running in case you're wondering Mm -hmm. it's your legs and so if you can't damage them on the roads or the trails, damage them in the gym uh, with purpose. And so there's obviously – it's not like every day or anything, but there's there's a fine line like anything. Like you run hard and then you run easier, recover, and the same thing goes with strength. But nonetheless, legs, legs, legs need to be a big – need to be the centerpiece of your strength equation I think is what, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, in, in an ultra, your cramp resistance is a huge factor in how successful you're going to be. And running doesn't take you through a full range of motion for your muscles. It just doesn't. It doesn't activate every muscle fiber unless you're working at maximal effort or fatiguing yourself to an extreme level. But weightlifting does. It takes you to the end of your range of motion and it engages all your muscle fibers. And you get to work on the areas that are going to cramp before they expose themselves on race day. If all you do is run, you don't know what's going to cramp until you go to a new level of exertion or duration. If you lift, you can get rid of that before it happens. Now, maybe not completely, and maybe not your first try, but if you have a holistic lower body lifting program, you will cramp far less than if you don't. From that alone, from even just that point alone, on top of resilience or resistance impact on top of overall fatigue all of it yeah okay anything else you were, you were going to say something and then i went in with the strength bit I, I think i was going to ask is is jigging is that a fishing term no that's what people i mean you could jig you could be jigging sure you could jig that's a way to okay. fish yeah i didn't know if that's, that's why that was fresh in your my mind my queen does oh no okay it's like the it's like a c step for like chess pieces they like it's a real term it's, it's like her flair she adds when she no i don't know what it is i'm thinking oh. like she when the queen moves she like moves a style and she jigs over there instead like of does like a little like jig slides or does a little jig that's what i was getting at like a okay. little jig yeah I, I i'm hung up on this i haven't moved past it yet you've <laughs> lost me for the episode i haven't thought i haven't thought this one out very well if i'm being honest so i got let me get back to you on that all right going Still out okay. with a whimper today. anything anything else yeah I'm sucking my thumb in the corner here 
Uh, I guess um, last thing I'll say is about this, and I will plug, although I know both of us are fairly busy on the athlete front. Um, if you're still confused, it's a good time. That's a good. If you're injury prone and you're trying to make it work, really good to outsource to get an understanding of how it should look. Uh, consider doing that. I'd say you're listening to two guys who've done it themselves for a while. So if you're one of those who are in that camp and frustrated, uh, you can always get guidance. I think it's one of those things that if you're starting to do it on your own and you have some questions, I think having help with that, um, it's going to be hard to find that in a cookie cutter plan. You're not, it's going to be hard to find that in a template, uh, necessarily like the guidance in there. So I would just say like having somebody to help you would be a uh, good way to start if you're still confused. Mm-hmm. I think that's all I want to add. Yeah, I think so. I think that no one ever regrets talking with a coach. Even if all it does is clarify like that you coach. don't need them. Yeah, true. Okay, well, uh, Bracken, I wanted to say it was really nice having you over in the family over this weekend. It was a, it was a fun weekend. Uh, I, I am happy to steal your kids at any time. They are a delight uh, in general. We will just say, as a blanket statement, um, one of your kids needs to wear clothes more often than she does. <laughs> it's a it's a sign of uh, respect from Mira if she's willing to be naked around you. I walk in from outside, and Mira is butt naked, butt naked in my kitchen with her hand up to her elbow in a family sized bag of Doritos, just living her best life, just eating handfuls of Doritos butt naked. She goes, don't mind me. <laughs> and she just crushes my Doritos. And she stood there like she didn't flinch. She didn't say sorry. She didn't look announced embarrassed. She was just like, yeah, I'm in your kitchen eating Doritos naked at 3 p.m. And that's normal for me. <laughs> and no, I didn't. And then it came full circle. And I will say this. And then we need to wrap this up. And I'm going to leave you defenseless. I don't, you, get, I don't get a rebuttal you, here. You pull, you pull out your body glide before our run on Saturday morning, and your wife, Lisa, she's in the kitchen. Your kids are all around, and you're wearing No, your kids were not all around. Without any hesitation. Kids were sleeping. <laughs> yes, your daughters were they, were. they were 10 feet away. Not watching. This is a, an important fact because they <laughs> weren't zoned is- in on what's happening. <laughs> Lisa was right there. Yeah. I was yeah. right there. Yeah, my two wives were and there. And Bracken just <laughs> Bracken is a stick of body glide and he just grabs his groin and just pulls his shorts over and just starts lathering up his nether regions like without like not a he- not a hesitation. And that's like, Kurt, do you want some? I was like, no, now I think I'm I'm good. I was like I, d- I didn't know what you were working with down there, but now I do. <laughs> didn't ask for it. No shame <laughs> in that family. You might as well be naked eating Doritos too, Bracken. In reverse order, when I started applying this, the body glide, you hadn't come out of the, the doorway yet. I was alone in the kitchen with Lisa when it started, and it it would have been more awkward to stop. <laughs> I offered you some in jest, n- knowing that you had just seen where I used it. And third, Mira very politely asked Jess first if she could be naked after her shower in the kitchen she ran it by jess first oh she did and she is my youngest everyone not of course she's not like 15 (laughs) it was oddly endearing those are my only rebuttals but yes we we got closer this weekend and it was this weekend in all seriousness was everything i'd hoped for out of it it was fantastic spending time with you and jess it was great seeing everyone we saw tj we saw diane we saw 
Um, let me think here. Steven Menya? Did you get a chance to Steven Menya. I saw both chiropractors who I'd never met before. Oh, I yeah. saw... Um, who else did we see? We had the whole running crew. Oh, yeah. I think there were like eight or nine people that have been guests. Darla. Darla O'Connor Darla. was there. It was it was the whole crew. It was like a family reunion of people who are my running family. And it was delightful. And the house is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how close to the water it was. I mean, that's my retirement dream right there. So it was just a great weekend. It was great watching you and Jess tie the knot and start your second half of your lives together. It's pretty sweet. Did you guys take out the pontoon boat on wedding day? We did not. But I will tell you that when Mira was finally done with playing in the lake, she and Ayla were in the lake for hours on Saturday. She marched past me and said, I'm going to rinse off, and then I'm eating Doritos naked again. <laughs> and she, that is now <laughs> her thing at your house. Okay, well, she's welcome to do that until it's she's a like seven. Then she should probably slow down. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I looked at the knots tied, the pontoon knots mm-hmm. tied to the cleats on the dock. I, as soon as I got back, I'm like, this will tell me if Bracken took the boat out or not. And the knots looked good. And I was like, either Bracken knows what he's doing or he didn't take it out. I so don't. Out. But what I would have done is taken a picture with my phone and then tried to replicate it. Mm, smart. Because the uh, last okay. thing I'm going to do dragging- is wake up the next day and you have your boat out in the middle of the lake. <laughs> Yeah, we could find our way to it. All right, we're uh, we're dragging this thing out now. So thank you for listening, guys. Back to the regular schedule next week, right? And we're mm-hmm. onward, pressing onward, both married men. And Brayden, happy birthday. This will drop on your 11th happy birthday. Happy birthday, Brayden. Our first child in double digits. Happy birthday, Brayden. Until next time. See ya. Mm-hmm.